Hey, Scott Walker here on You Can't Recall Courage. I'm uh, back at home. In fact, this Friday's a busy, busy week. Was out in New York City, Washington, D.C. Was at the Packers-Eagles game last night and uh, still celebrating from this past week, too, when the Milwaukee Brewers clinched yet another playoff berth. So we're excited looking ahead. Uh, you know, speaking of being in New York, no, I wasn't there at the United Nations, but I was there on the day the president did speak at that. And I was in Washington, D.C. that night and the next day, and no, I wasn't involved in the impeachment or the announcement by Pelosi of the impeachment. But it does raise two interesting points that have gone on this past week. In fact, sometimes it seems overwhelming with all the news out there. First of all, when it comes to impeachment and Pelosi, can you imagine how outraged, how just out of control the national media would have been had a Democrat president been speaking in front of the United Nations and a Republican speaker announce plans for moving forward on at least the possibility of an impeachment? It never would have been happening in the past. And it's one of those things that, that the, the media and editorial boards would have gone completely bonkers of. It just shows you how out of whack things are. Let's just face it. Democrats have been waiting for something to justify, and I say that loosely, to justify their desire to peach, impeach this president, President Donald Trump, since the day he took office. And I got to tell you, I know how the president feels. A lot of people may not remember this, but on November 2nd, 2010, nearly nine years ago, November 2nd, 2010, the actual date of my first election as governor of the state of Wisconsin, incidentally, my birthday was November 2nd, still is November 2nd for that matter, but my birthday was election day that year. On that day, November 2nd, 2010, someone registered the domain name recallscottwalker.com. Now, there were plenty of actions that occurred after that, but it's just so interesting because even then, the left was unhinged. They were upset that we had won. Uh, we had carried uh, an election statewide in Wisconsin because Wisconsin was a blue state. People may not remember this, but at the time, in 2010, Wisconsin was controlled by Democrats. In fact, the state hadn't gone Republican for president since 1984. 1984, that's when Ronald Reagan carried every state but Minnesota. The only state he didn't carry was the home state of his opponent, former Vice President Mondale. So it hadn't gone Republican since 84. And in 2010, when I was first running to be governor, the governor, the lieutenant governor, both U.S. senators, both houses of the legislature were all controlled by Democrats. This was a blue state. In fact, I, I think more than anything, it wasn't even just that Democrats controlled things. It was the history of Wisconsin that, that drove the left absolutely nuts when we took office. You see, Wisconsin's the place where the progressive movement started, where fighting Bob LaFollette's from where the Public Employees Union, AFSCME, began, where collective bargaining was first formed, and where, sadly, the Wisconsin has the distinction of being uh, the state in uh, the first state in the nation to pass a state income tax. So the idea that not just a Republican, but a conservative like me would win, I think was just too much. They were looking for a reason to get us out. Now, despite all the attacks, and not only the protesters from within the state, but the tens of thousands that came from elsewhere, from New York and Washington and every other place imaginable across the country, they were flown in and shipped in and brought in. We, we could see it in the flyers and banners and hats and jackets and all the other things that came about because they knew that the big government special interests, the big government union bosses were at risk. Now, thankfully, thankfully our reforms worked. And we ultimately won the recall election, the first in American history, the first governor to win a recall election. We won that on, on June 5th of 2012 with more votes and a higher percentage of the vote than we'd won the first time in 2010. I think in many ways, liberals are still in disbelief that Donald Trump defeated Hillary Clinton. 
I think they just somehow think they're they're caught up in some sort of out-of-control nightmare, and they're hoping that impeachment will wake them up to a day when they'll find a different president. My guess is that voters will react next fall the same way they did in Wisconsin back in 2012. I think that's why it's important to get the facts out. I'm Scott Walker, and you can't recall courage. We'll be right back in just a moment to talk a little bit more about what happened this week, particularly in New York City at the United Nations. Hi, Scott Walker here. You're back on You Can't Recall Courage. Thanks thanks again for joining our podcast. You know, this week there was a lot of chatter, not only about uh, the left crying for impeachment, but earlier in the week, sometimes these news cycles tend to go so quickly, even in the same day, but a lot of focus and attention because of the young woman who spoke about so-called climate change. And I just got to tell you, just as an aside, climate change is just filled with hypocrites. I mean, there's hypocrites everywhere. I talked a little bit about this in my column today in the Washington Times. But you've got hypocrites all over the place in this movement. You've got politicians who fly in private jets but tell the rest of us to consider a world without airplanes. You've got movie stars advocating that we should somehow ditch our vehicles when their idea of mass transit is a stretch limo. We've got activists preaching that America has to cripple our economy while posting on their iPhones, which are made in China. And we've got candidates, Democrat candidates for presidents, telling us we have to give up meat while helping grill over 10,000 steaks in Iowa. Yeah, there's plenty of hypocrisy to go with all their hype. But, But what about the hype? Well, as Aaron Rodgers, the star of the Green Bay Packers, would say, R E L A X. Relax. The world's not going to end in 12 years. Remember all the times former Vice President Al Gore predicted doom and gloom, the end of the world, and major calamity? I remember this quote. He said this back in, back in December 14th of 2009 at one of these conferences on so-called global warming and climate change. He said, quote, these figures are fresh. Some of the models suggest to Dr. Maslowski that there's a 75% chance that the entire North Polar ice cap during the summer months could be completely ice-free within five to seven years, unquote. So he says this back in 2009. But you know what? That didn't happen. In 2014 and 2015, there was, there was actually more Arctic sea ice than in previous years. Well, as we learned there and plenty of other quotes and predictions in the past, Al Gore was as wrong at that time as he is a hypocrite when it comes to this issue. You see, back around the time he won an Oscar for the best documentary feature, the Associated Press, not just any old group out there, the Associated Press reported that Gore's mansion in one of these plush areas in Nashville used actually more than 12 times the average amount of energy for home in that area. Yeah, I guess that was his inconvenient truth. A decade later, even after this was brought to his attention, Gore appeared to be still a hypocrite on the issue. In fact, he told Jake Tapper on uh, CNN, again, this is a direct quote, I live in a carbon-free lifestyle. I live a carbon-free lifestyle to the maximum extent possible, unquote. Well, there's a group called the National Center for Public Policy Research, and they did analysis at that time and found that Al Gore's mansion in Nashville used more electricity in one month than the average family uses in 34 months. In fact, just think about the the pool alone. This report said they used the electricity used to heat the pool could power six homes for an entire year. Of course, even more amazing is that all of this happened after he installed a whole bunch of new green updates 
Ironically, the report says that Gore's home used more electricity in 2016 than it had nine years earlier in 2007. So all of his claims to live a carbon-free lifestyle to the maximum extent possible really boil down to the idea of of him purchasing these so-called carbon offsets. That's a way of offsetting the carbon dioxide related to the home they live in. In fact, the report specifically says that Gore pays a little over $400 a month into a green power switch program that helps fund renewable energy projects. Now, I don't know about all of you, but in my mind, thinking about not just Gore, but overall, carbon offsets are really just a way for rich liberals to claim to claim that they're helping fight climate change while not really having to change the lifestyle. To me, it's the modern-day selling of indulgences. You see, the elites can pay the what I call the, the high church of climate change activism for the benefit of being forgiven for their sins of having a large carbon footprint. While the masses, the rest of us, have to change, dramatically change our lifestyles, all the while we still get stuck with the bill. Now, worse than that is that there's many politicians who want to do this and plenty more things, the Green New Deal, so-called Green New Deal, and other things that would cripple our economy when the biggest threat the biggest threat when it comes to climate issues actually comes from countries like China. Now, a report this year from Power Engineering claims that China would add 290 gigawatts of new coal-fired capacity this year. That's more than 10% higher than the entire U.S. existing coal-fired generation fleet. Uh, Imagine that. You see, there's better ways to, to deal with this issue and to preserve our natural resources. So we do not, but, but to do it at a point that doesn't put America at a competitive disadvantage, particularly when expert after expert, and I remember even when one of the Obama plans was being talked about, one of the individuals uh, speaking in front of Congress was asked and acknowledged that the things they were pushing to do, which would have a devastating impact on major, major portions of the American economy, would have little or no global impact. I've always thought of it in a way it's, you know, if you don't have China and, and India in particular in the mix, it's kind of like when I was a kid, there used to be restaurants that would have both smoking and non-smoking areas. And, and usually the joke was that you'd, the smoking area would be in the same area, but it would, it would have like a, a tiny little barrier, like a, a glass, piece of glass that went up, but barely went up a foot or two. It didn't certainly go up to the, uh, from, from all the way from the booth up to the ceiling. And so if you sat in the non-smoking area and there were a bunch of smokers in the smoking area, the smoke would drift right over to you. Well, the same thing's true here. We we can do all sorts of things, uh, but unless China and India and other countries are on board, it's kind of like sitting in the non-smoking area. You're still getting the smoke. And so why would we cripple ourselves at a time when there, I think, are, are better and more effective ways of dealing with this that don't stifle the American economy? One of them is simple, plant more trees. You know, a 25% increase in the forested areas throughout the world has the potential to cut uh, the atmospheric carbon pool by about 25%, according to a really quite interesting study released earlier this year. I was reading about it, somewhat of, uh, reading a portion of it in National Geographic online. So plant more trees. It's something we can all do, and it's actually a very cost-effective way of doing things, putting more trees up to help deal with the carbon. Uh, the carbon dioxide at the same time, it's not in any way crippling ours or any other economy across the world. Secondly, we could do more to use nuclear energy. You see, unlike fossil-fueled power plants, nuclear reactors do not produce air pollution or carbon dioxide while operating. Plus, 
nuclear power plants are efficient. They already generate about 20% of the electricity in the United States, uh, and they operate over 90% of the time. Compare that to things like hydroelectric systems, which operate less than 40%, wind turbines that operate less than 35%, or solar that's only about 25% of the time. And you can see that uh, for us not to have major gaps in coverage, we have to have uh, not only an effective and efficient system, but one that's reliable. Nuclear energy is a great way to do that. I mean, for, for decades now, U.S. servicemen and women serving in the United States Navy have been operating on submarines fueled uh, by nuclear energy. There's really no reason why we can't do that. It would be very, quite effective. But unfortunately, in many places in this country and many more across the world, uh, they've somewhat demonized nuclear energy. And third, we can just do more as individuals and families to conserve energy. I've often said that one of the best ways to be green is to make green or save green. In other words, if you can make money or save money, that's truly sustainable, not only environmentally, but economically. It's the sort of thing that, that will continue long after a government makes a new rule or law along the way. There are ways to make homes and buildings and businesses and farms and ranches uh, much more energy efficient, which not only helps save the environment, and saves a little bit of money and makes it sustainable as well. The big deal with all this, though, goes back to the issue of hypocrisy. Because you see, earlier this year, the, it was amazing to see that uh, uh, all this talk about the Green New Deal, to me, some of these ideas, planting more trees, using more nuclear energy, conserving energy, maybe we should be calling that and other good ideas like that the Green Real Deal instead of the Green New Deal. The Green Real, the green, so-called Green Re New Deal, get these all mixed up, the Green New Deal, really wasn't about the environment. In fact, AOC's chief of staff exposed the fraud, as was reported in the Washington Post earlier this year, saying that, quote, the interesting thing about the Green New Deal is it wasn't originally a climate thing at all. He went on to say that, the, to the, uh, speaking to the, the governor of Washington, do you guys think of it as a climate thing? Because we think of it as a how to change the entire economy thing. In a weird sort of way, AOC's chief of staff did more to expose the hypocrisy of the Green New Deal and ideas like that than anyone else on the right could have possibly done. So think about that the next time you see on TV or social media one of these uh, climate change protests on the news. The reality is it's filled with hypocrites out there. I was taught a long time ago as, in, as a scout, your campsite should be cleaner when you leave them than when you found it. And I firmly believe that. We need to make sure that the world we pass on is cleaner and better than the one we inherited from our parents and our grandparents. And we can do that not only by having a sound economy, but also a sound environment. The two can go together. They're not mutually exclusive. But one without the other just doesn't work for the next and future generations. I'm Scott Walker, and you can't recall courage. Until next time, keep fighting for freedom.